Hello and welcome to 99 from 99, the movie podcast where we take you back to the past and cover 99 films or more from the year 1999. I'm your stubborn Kentuckian host, Michael Denniston, joined every week by madman of the airwaves, Ben Zook. Why take a journey to the past? Well, perhaps like you, we've looked out our window and seen the world grow smaller, colder, and scarier. Not here. So sit back, relax, and come back with us to a time when theaters were full, tickets were affordable, and there were so many good movies, you couldn't possibly catch them all. That's what this podcast is here to do. So we hope you take the entire trip with us, 99 episodes on the films from 1999. you to hit me as hard as you can i'm scared to close my eyes i see dead people i believe you have my papler now that i've met you would you object to never seeing me again this is not just a couch it's just our couch take the red pill and i show you how deep the rabbit hole goes leave the light on after bedtime I always thought it'd be better to be a fake somebody, a real nobody. Are we gonna air it? Of course not. Not of it! The aircraft involved was a 737. She went to Miami today. I need to find out what plane she was on. We got a guy who thinks his wife was on 437, traveling with another man. 3A and B, Mr. and Mrs. Cullen Chandler. And you ready for this? Mrs. Chandler is a congresswoman. Kay Spencer Chandler. In a perfect world, they would have never met. My name is Bill Vandenbroek. What is this about? My wife was on that plane, but your husband was on. Are you investigating something? They were sitting together. 3A and B, your husband, my wife. Do you know that? It was a betrayal he never imagined. If they find out about your wife, it's gossip. If they find out about my husband, it's in the newspapers. There's got to be something, some sign of something. You'll never find what you're looking for. From Academy Award winner Sidney Pollack comes the story about the things we can't control and the forces we can't resist. I was wondering if you'd come. There's so many reasons I might be doing this. All right, time for Random Hearts. Now, I, I had seen Random Hearts many, many years ago, and and I was a bit, I was already a big Sidney Pollock fan, and it was one that was easy to skip because it didn't have a good, you know, reception at all. And uh, and I remember tuning into it and and feeling that uh, the, feeling that it was really boring uh, right off the bat from the first twenty minutes and not being into it at all. So I wasn't looking forward to this because uh, I really don't like... One of the things is that I really don't like seeing, you know, heroes of mine and people I admire, uh, you know, may, with their worst movie or whatever. Uh, and and I I mean, that's, that's, you know, Random Hearts is probably close to that. I haven't seen Havana, which many people hate. Um, but I wasn't looking forward to this but I, what, I, what I'll say is that, okay, the movie starts off with a pretty interesting premise, which was taken from uh, this novel that it's based on, that a, 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 a Harrison Ford's wife happens to be in a plane uh, traveling under, under a fake name uh, uh, with a man she's having an affair with, and the plane crashes, 
and and they both die and then Harrison Ford comes to meet his uh his wife's uh lover's wife and they they it's develop a tough sentence. Yeah, they develop a uh a a friendship and and kind of discuss, you know, like sort of they're sort of going through the same emotions and everything and it's a very dry and contemplative uh film and wasn't right at all I think for late 90s audiences and 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 I'm not I'm not sure what they were thinking here like in terms of what like in terms of how much money was spent in terms of the people they got involved uh I I think this needed to be uh so we talked about the limey being low key uh, uh last week and and I think this probably needed to be even more low key than you know than it is uh, I think if you I thought in a weird way I thought a lot about Eyes Wide Shut hmm. in that that movie is is also about two middle-aged people uh who you know thinking about what it means to be in love and married to a person forever and what those bonds you know matter and and they both these characters just like in Eyes Wide Shut they they kind of wander in and out of a lot of different situations, a lot of scenes in bars where people are are you know drinking uh, their scotch and everything, and and uh, and and you know dinner parties and uh, and a lot, lots of like elitist posh uh, surroundings, and, and the characters not really seeming like they fit in um, you know uh, in into these places. Uh, I, so, so kind of getting, getting, kinda get, trying to make this short, um, <laughs> too late. Uh, I enjoyed it more than I thought I would, but I still think it's, it, I still think it misses the mark and, and, and kind of fails, but I, I'm more, I'm more mixed on it now. Whereas before I was pretty negative about it on my first viewing several years ago. So Denniston, what was your take on it? Well, I have a pretty distinct memory of, of being in in high school at this time, and lamenting the fact that uh, there was nothing to go see uh, at the movies that week, or there hadn't been for some time, and so I was like, I looked up the the opening weekend, the box office for this, because I was like, okay, so what was out? What was I maybe unfairly judging? And Double Jeopardy, in its third week, was still the number mm-hmm. one film out. Uh, and this one, in its opening weekend, uh, came in second with thirteen million dollars, and I remembered like Random Hearts is like in the paper the you know the big release this weekend and sort of just groaning like oh well that'll be something I'll never see and you know this is un, un you know there's been some really cool moments on this podcast where I've been like I was young and and dumb and I'm glad I caught up with it and this is you know it's not going to be case this time around because I really <laughs> really fucking struggled with this one like this uh my wife asked me you know what were you watching the other day um when he fell asleep on the couch and it was this and there was another time when she wasn't around that I also fell asleep again so this is mm-hmm. you know it was like three or four attempts to to wade through this and it's just one of those projects where I'm just like I don't you know I, I just feel like you have to nuke the whole thing like I you know I, I don't see any <laughs> semblance of the Sidney Pollock I love or that the character he's playing eyes wide shut with that sort of eye to these these people that that sort of like sarcasm or that that bite there's to it and there there certainly could be some bite to this i mean it's some pretty bad luck i guess on the 
the the adulterous half of the loved ones for these two. Uh, and you could understand sort of mining some of that territory, some of the bitterness that I think they tried to get into with Harrison Ford, but he just, you know, he just, I don't know if he comes across as like obsessive. He just, you know, comes across as like constipated. Like he's just like, he just like looks like a man you do not want to spend time with. And poor Kristen Scott Thomas, like if you, if this was the only thing you saw her in, or if this is the first thing you watched her in, you would wonder how in the world she got to be in the movies. Cause I mean, it is like the charisma has been zapped entirely out of, out of this, you know, this conceit that's already going to be difficult because it's two people that have been wronged and they're in this like weird fucked up situation where they're having to grieve for people that, you know, I guess unwittingly, uh, they didn't know that they were like causing them this harm that they're gonna have to deal with after that. So they don't have any place to put that sort of anger or hurt except on these other people who, as you said, are kind of going through the same thing. But you have these weird, you know, they ha- you have this whole subplot where he's, you know, he's an infernal or internal mm-hmm. affairs a detective investigating another crooked cop. And, you know, every time we're in investigating that, I'm wondering why are we spending time on this? Like, I, I don't really care what happens with that. And it's, you know, spoiler alert for random hearts. Really, it seems to only be there, uh, sort of to, to bring her back to his side so that he can be shot in front of her on the mm-hmm. streets. Like mm-hmm. it's, it, it seems lazy, but it also seems excessive. Cause this is, you know, it's, you know, about two hours and 15 minutes long, um, I can understand her sort of button up demeanor a little bit more where she is a politician. And so she's sort of trying to navigate the waters of this possible scandal that'll come out and how that'll affect her standing as she runs for reelection for Congress. She has a daughter played by a very young, uh, Kate Mara here. Um, but yeah, this is like one of the least sexy, you know, uh, romances. Um, and that's saying something considering like the back half of this episode is going to be about a, a married couple bickering and arguing for pretty much the entire runtime. Uh, and this one, this one, yeah, is, is very cold, uh, very distant. And, uh, I, yeah, I, I don't know what the, the hook was here, uh, but they did, they did not succeed, uh, in this one. So yeah, I'm, I'm sad that this one made our list because of Sidney Pollack, I guess, and the, the respect for him, because I really did not care for it. Yeah, and so no, nothing you're saying is unfair or <laughs> untrue. The, the, everything you're saying is exactly how I felt about it the, the first time I saw it. But on a second watch, I, you know, I was seeing some of the attempts of what they were trying to do here, and, uh, and I found myself... I found myself rooting for for the movie to congeal together and, and be uh, you know and be one of some gem that I could defend and everything. But you're right that subplot with Dennis Haysbert, who is this criminal that Ford is trying to put uh, away, uh, doesn't work. It's very uninteresting. It, it, and you're right; it only exists so they could have an action set piece at the end that's not very good either, but, you know, they can put in the trailer and make it look like this is a mystery thriller of some kind, which, is, which it isn't. It, and it's not a romantic thriller either. It's really, it's, 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 a very, it's a very dry romantic drama about these two people who are grieving in a way that they're not really able to have the big dramatic uh, release of uh, of feeling the the loss of of these people because they're catching up with all the thing all the thing all the lies and things that they never knew about and so there I think there is one I think there is one really good uh, scene 
in the movie that, that I think you should maybe can may, just take another look at uh, with what I'm saying. Uh, they go to Florida to find out why their, their, their spouses were traveling to, to Florida because they don't know why. And, and they don't really get the answers they, they want or, or need, uh, but they end up going out and uh, walking to a uh, nightclub. It's okay, Chandler. Hi, Peter Suchet. He's conquered. Voted for your dad. But do you mind? Uh, honey, uh, take another picture. They took our picture. Do you know them? They're from Concord. They took our picture. I bury my husband and go nightclubbing in Miami. You don't care who knows, do you? About her and him, I mean. I care. They know anyway. Sooner or later, everybody knows everything. And, you know, you look around and the, the like during this part of the movie, like Pollock has filled the, the film with couples and, and specifically middle age couples, people who are older, but who seem like they're having the time of their lives and uh, able to really enjoy themselves even at that point. And, and you just sense that that Ford and Thomas will never be able to to have that outlook. Uh, on life and just the looks they're giving at these other couples during these scenes and everything. I found, I mm. found, I found a lot of that effective and I wish, I wish this movie was 20 minutes shorter. I wish it had committed to being a subtle low key drama and not try to go down the mystery uh, thriller route at all, which is totally unsuccessful. I was way more interested in, the dynamic between Chris and Scott Thomas and her daughter, which never gets paid off. Uh, and not just because it's, you know, Kate Mara, an early appearance by Kate Mara. Like I re- there, there was some interesting, uh, you know, elements there. And, and that was the interesting juxtaposition was that, was that her character uh, has a daughter and has to think of everything in, in terms of that and four doesn't. And so he, he doesn't have that same kind of baggage in, in regards to, to what they're doing. Um, you know, man. He seems more hung up on the fact that uh, his wife had sex with him the the morning she mm-hmm. got on the plane to to go. Like he can't he can't understand uh, the duplicity there on the on that sort of level uh, of how she could <clears throat> she could seemingly be happy and and you know I mean that there is that key difference between these two characters and that the Thomas character it's revealed that she you know was aware uh, mm-hmm. that there was another woman and so she's. You know, I'm assuming not happy about it, but she's you know she's not as thrown uh, as as Harrison Ford is. That that sequence you mentioned, Miami, I had a much more you know cynical take on it that it was it was confirmation on why uh, their partners would step out on them because this is like maybe they, yeah they look like you know it's something so far removed. Uh, from what they would be comfortable uh, experiencing or what like have any desire to do that like you know that the people they're looking at if they're imagining their their dead partners in that club uh, clearly it's like okay there there's confirmation that there was something that they couldn't fulfill that they were seeking out another person uh, and that's that's also difficult to do in this type of thing with a, a romance because uh, there are a couple of good moments with um, you know, the, the, the Thomas character is probably the harder nut to crack because she is the one that's insistent. Like, I think she even has a bit of dialogue where she's like, I'm done 
done with those people. Like, you know, she's like, I'm, you know, I'm basically not going to give them any more time or consideration, uh, on, on this affair, on this betrayal and Ford, even in a moment of tenderness, you know, he, he's still just thinking about his wife when they have that sort of moment out in the woods. Um, and I, yeah, I think if you just lose the, the, the cop aspect of it, it's like, it's like they need it there just so they can have the character trait that it like he's dogged, you know, he won't, <laughs> he won't let this drop. He's going to see it through because that's, you know, it's in his nature. It's in his blood to just like figure out all the puzzle pieces. And I think Harrison Ford probably does a good enough job on his own just with his presence as an actor that you would get that. He didn't need to be wearing a badge and a gun to know that he would want to like see this, this part of his personal life through to the end. Yeah, I agree. I agree with, I agree with all that. And I, and I, you know, so I, so I mean this, this eyes wide shut thing. I, I mean, you know, uh, like I was thinking that when I was watching the movie, and and you know, maybe I'm on to something. Maybe let's just you know, like, <laughs> but let's just think of it about this way. Let's think about it this way for a second. Eyes wide shut took forever to make, so uh, Sidney Pollock uh, came to Random Hearts very late in the game. Like it was, it was one of those properties that I guess was tossed off between a few different people for for many years. You know, I could see that. I could see his interest in this subject matter being something more adult uh, and, and being something, you know, hard to access. And, and I could see the studio not really being that interested in that and wanting to play up the mystery and the thriller angles. And so what you get is a movie that's not really committed to, to either of those things. Like, this isn't, this isn't frantic, uh, you know, from the late 80s where... where uh, Ford is trying to find his wife and and all that, uh, you know. And so, uh, I don't know. I'm more I'm more mixed on it, and I think it's unfortunate. Uh, but I but I feel like I can see what what they what they were going for. I'm just sad they they didn't get there. Yeah, uh, this you know, sixty four million dollar budget. Uh, yeah, never see a that lot again. Of money. <laughs> <laughs> for this type of material, uh, with at least you know one one big movie star in Harrison Ford, but uh, yeah, Kristen Scott Thomas uh, coming off of uh, the English Patient uh, a few years prior probably not doesn't warrant that. I do. I do. I'm pregnant. It's a boy. Happy, Happy birthday. birthday. I'm pregnant. It's a girl. Happy, Happy Mother's Day. You're not really hearing me. You're not listening. You can't let go of anything. Why should you be responsible for anything? Oh, that's right. You're perfect, and I've done nothing right in 15 years. Isn't this the moment where one of us is supposed to say, look, this is ridiculous. We love each other. All couples go through this. Let's give it another try. He's a bunny. Ah! It's chicken pop. It's over. My goldfish died. My hamster died. My father's died. So, you know, the story of us, you know, is the next one uh, we got. Comes up out here. a week later um, uh, than Random Hearts. <laughs> so, this is another one that, uh, like, an awkward romance, uh, maybe a little bit too close together. I, I was feeling some like stigmata, stir of echoes vibes with this, with like romances with. Uh, you know, movie stars uh, that aren't really the best, like sort of date night material, or the most comfortable, crowd pleasing uh, type of content that they're going to give their audiences. Uh yeah, I guess so. Did this make money? I don't know. Did it? 
Uh, let's see. This. Oh, good lord. Um, there's a lot on the critical reception of uh, Story of Us, but the uh, box office looks like they were about the same. Uh, this one made wow. 58 million on a budget of 50 for the Story of Us, and Random Hearts made 74 on a budget of 64. So, yeah, uh, both both uh, losers uh, financially. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I, 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 I so I, I don't know. I guess my take is somewhat similar to my take on Random Hearts. I think this had more going for it for longer, uh, you know, of its runtime. And so we have a couple here and it's presented, uh, the story is presented non-linearly. So we see, I, I really like this opening scene we get with them sitting down, eating dinner with their kids. And they introduce this idea of them asking their, their kids, what was your high and your low from today? And they, and they talk about that. And the kids leave, and then, and then suddenly the tone changes. And the, uh, uh, Bruce Willis's character, uh, Ben, says, you know, like, no matter what, I just want to make sure uh, the kids aren't aware of, you know, all the, and then it, and it's introduced to us that that you know this is not a couple uh, a happy married couple this is a couple that is you know soon to be uh, on the outs uh, separated or or possibly heading for to for divorce and um, you know yeah the, I really like that opening and I and I think um, I don't know I don't think the movie I don't think the movie ever tops that for me and I think there are some scenes later on that I find funny and effective and i like the performances here uh overall uh but i i felt by the time we got to the end of the film the movie kind of uh it let me down because it didn't really it didn't it didn't really stick with the idea of wanting to present the truth about this situation with the you know with the like i believe these characters as human beings for sure, but I do not believe the um, the direction that the plot goes in, specifically in the third act of this movie. And, and so, for for a movie that seemed to have so much heart and sincerity, it, it really lets me down in the final moments. And I say that despite uh, you know what I think is really good work from Michelle Pfeiffer and Bruce Willis. Uh, also. So this movie, the only really thing I knew about this movie uh, was in that I, I had heard people tell me that the ending of this movie, the, there's this montage, and, and basically the, this montage was like they just, when they made the trailer for this film, that montage that they have at the end, which is mm-hmm. you know, the actual movie, is, is the trailer. And so... It feels like kind of a cheat. It feels mm-hmm. like you're being given a commercial of of what you know of what you're supposed to get with these characters, and you're you know what I mean. You're not really earning that uh, you know lived in experience between of, of you know seeing all those moments and everything. You're just kind of getting rushed through it, and and you know it's it, in many regards not necessary. I mean, I thought. Bruce Willis and Michelle Pfeiffer were doing a, a you know a really fine job in terms of creating like a believable, realistic uh, couple together. That I, that I don't know why we have to get this showy, you know, montage at the end here. 
I, I thought they were all fucking terrible. I, th- I thought Bruce Christ, Willis. I, I, thought, <laughs> I just what? just just get fucking divorced already. Like I, it's I never. Okay, so you're you're mentioning the montage. I I kept thinking as I'm watching this, I thought this would go back and forth more. Like I thought we were going to have sort of distinct moments of like courtship or happiness. Uh, and we get one. We get one. I guess the meet cute, uh, which Bruce Willis not not really an actor you want to show, I guess, throughout the, the ages because he's just, I mean, as far back, at, I guess, as we've known him as a, a movie star, or even a television star, he's been a balding man in these horrible, horrible, like, you know, I guess extensions or wigs they've got him in uh, to, to show him as a younger version. Oh, here, here we go. The makeup expert uh, strikes uh, again. I'm telling you, yeah. I'm telling you, man, it's just like, okay, so it looks like the same, you know, he's not aged at all except that his hair is just shaggier or they just added a ponytail onto the back of his head. Looks terrible, uh, but there's only the one moment where he's like, you know, trying to like, I don't know, throw paper clips out her at her to get her attention or whatever, and she puts on a helmet and he thinks that's hilarious, and uh, that's uh, maybe it for the good times, uh, because even in the uh, the other stuff when they're younger, it's usually related to, you know, raising their kids or um, for the most part. I mean, these, you know, the story just it just presents trope after trope, cliche. You know, battle of the sexes kind of bullshit where it's like, oh, he's the like any sort of CBS sitcom you would find. Like he's the like sort of goofy, but, you know, aimless father who like, you know, this he just is fun loving and doesn't pay attention as his kids getting run over by a truck. But, you know, he tells a good joke or he does like a little funny dad dance and she's the neurotic. Uh, I, I enjoyed all that. I you uh, know. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> hated it. I, I kept thinking, like watching these two together. I wanted Bruce. I would rather Bruce Willis have been in Random Hearts, like because I, I think he might have he might have brought a little bit more levity because he's you know his even when he's exasperated like in Die Hard, you know he's he's got like sort of a goofy, uh, you know comedic nature to him. And uh, also, there's a movie I really like in the uh, the following year with Michelle Pfeiffer and Harrison Ford. Uh, that's not the most romantic thing uh, as far as them being a couple. But uh, I kept thinking like, oh, I'd rather have Harrison Ford in this because if you want to go there to those arguments, there's a little bit, maybe a little bit more sting to it because he just comes across as more aggressive as a screen presence. Um, you know, and you, you have the side characters, Rob Reiner here, uh, cast himself as one of Bruce Willis's buddies and, um, you have Rita Wilson as one of Michelle Pfeiffer's and they just, you know, they, they give the, the same like sort of men are from Mars, women are from Venus bullshit. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And it, it, you know, it's annoying. It was probably annoying and played out then. Um, I'm guessing it was, you know, it had a very small target they're trying to hit of like, you know, middle-aged couples uh, that would not roll their eyes at some of this, this humor or some of this talk about uh, gender uh, dynamics but I don't. <clears throat> I didn't find any of it amusing. Um, I just wanted the couple to separate because they kind of have the same argument over and over again. Um, they don't seem happy, even when they're like happy together. They don't seem like two people who would have ever been together. Uh, and you know, you <laughs> you kind of in the last episode teased it. I guess as both of us as being product of divorce. I'm like, you know what? As as if I was one of those kids, uh, I would just say like, just get your own place. You know, Papa Bruce, go get an apartment. Uh, it'll be better for all involved. Uh, this is uncomfortable. And uh, yeah, I didn't. I did not enjoy 
a single second of this. Uh, I developed a new hatred for Eric Clapton oh, with that fucking song, the oh, fucking Eric Clapton <laughs> that plays through this. Oh my god, just just wretched. This this movie feels like it's a hundred years old. It, it just is incredibly dated. And uh, man, would I have really hated this as like a sixteen year old at the time? I would have I would have despised this. And so I felt young again uh, watching this because this this one was a struggle to get through. I I'm gonna say it now. I have a new possible candidate for worst of 1999 wow. the story of us a new low uh for this this project so did you see this before or after you saw joker because i want to you know try. <laughs> <laughs> i just want to make sure you haven't been triggered into violent hysteria against you know this so i i think I think you're being a little unfair when it comes to Bruce Willis and Michelle Pfeiffer's performance. I think they're, I think they're I both doing good work. Here. Will you play the clip of her final 15-minute monologue where she is like caterwauling to the heavens about, and like he's standing there stone-faced? If you play that in, in its entirety, that, that, that would, that's all that needs to be said. Let her, let her speak for me. There's a history here, and histories don't happen overnight. You know, in Mesopotamia or, or ancient Troy or somewhere back there, 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 there are cities built on top of other cities, but I don't want to build another city. I like this city. I know where we keep the Bactine and, 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 and what kind of mood you're in when you wake up, by which eyebrow is higher, and you always know that I'm a little quiet in the morning and compensate accordingly. That's a dance you perfect over time. And it's hard. It's much harder than I thought it would be, but... There's more good than bad, and you don't just give up. <laughs> I agree about the side characters, and I think they bring the movie down a lot. It feels like it feel that's where I feel like the screenplay is just going through the motions. And um, weirdly enough, there's this scene where Bruce Willis is in a restaurant late in the movie, and he's talking to Rob Reiner and Rita Wilson, and he starts going on about. Uh, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer's uh, mother and blah blah blah. Apparently, apparently, uh, Reiner said that that Larry David, uh, in you know, uh, like he lifted a lot like like that from like Larry David, uh, which is funny to think uh, about. But I don't find that very effective. Uh, and <laughs> very and I performers those two. <laughs> I I really don't like Rob Reiner here, and I know it's not fair to pick on on him hmm. casting himself in but some you regards. But you keep picking on you him know, left and right. He he really he's really bad here, and his character is really bad, and his you character don't like his butt monologue. Yeah, he did. Well, you know, it's like one. Okay, he talks about his ass in one scene. A whole movie later, you know, another scene where he talks about his ass, and there seems to be a weird. Uh, you know, he seems to be really obsessed with his own ass, and I don't I don't know. Uh, not is very funny. Is he is he like one that is comparing like talking about men's asses with Tom Hanks and Sleepless in Seattle? Is he the you know the, yeah, the and he friend? does that in in Sleepless in Seattle as well. I really I, I yeah. don't like that scene in Sleepless. That's the only bad scene in Sleepless in Seattle I can think of. Um, that's a really good movie. That one. That man, is a really good movie. That, that, okay, yeah. that's a better. That's a much better movie than this. I I think the attempt here, the attempt here was to make a Kramer versus Kramer for a family audience, and I think there's the you know there's there's a lot to be said about the benefit that that would have to, uh, you know, to to let's you know a family uh, if they're if you know if their parents had gone through divorce or were going through divorce 
or we're thinking about going through divorce and everything. There's something to be said that, you know, as good as Kramer versus Kramer is, I don't know if you've seen in Kramer versus Kramer, if you like it or not, uh, but I think that's a terrific film. Uh, it's a little unfair to the uh, the Meryl Streep character, I think, was my only... I liked yeah, it. Yeah, that's what I people always say. She's, you know, uh, she's, she's a jerk. What do you want me to say? Uh, you know... <laughs> <laughs> like if you were that waiter in that restaurant where, you know, and like, like, you know, she's like, you know, she's got to get her act together. Um, You're missing the best, the better, <laughs> I think, version here from the 90s. Like, and as a child of divorce, the one I always go to because I was a kid when it came out. What's that? Parent Trap? No, I actually just caught up with that one. I actually really liked it, too. Shockingly. Yeah, I like that um, film, too. Uh, no, Mrs. Doubtfire is the one okay, where you're like, yeah. the, by the end of it, you're like, this is good that these people are not cohabitating, but they both love their kids, you know, and, that, and it, it manages to make a sweet, sad, you know, end result, a happy movie ending. Um, and I guess maybe I was just hoping that those the characters here in Story of Us would get to that point, the, the responsible point where they they split up, but they're both you know good parents in their own way. And Mrs. Doubtfire has a very mature, responsible ending, and this movie does not. And you know that that's where that's where I like if if if, if this movie had a better ending, I would be giving it a positive review right now. But remember, Mrs. Doubtfire, you know Sally Field, it, you know it, she's she's a very small part of uh you know of the conflict in that movie and everything she she's only in there for like maybe 20 minutes uh, at that and uh, and here this is much more of a of trying to be uh representative of both sides of of, of this marriage and i thought for most of the runtime they did a really good job of maintaining you know, empathy for, for both their characters. I like this scene where Michelle Pfeiffer has uh, agreed to meet up with Ben um, after they've separated and she has his dry cleaning and she doesn't know uh, what to do with it, doesn't know if she should, you know, have it uh, hung up or if she should, you know, have it laid out over the banister and everything. There, there's an interesting truth to that, that, you know... Uh, was working for me, and so I'm I'm more positive on this than you. But I mean, ultimately, it doesn't work. Uh, I'm sorry you hated it so much. <laughs> Flames on the side of your face, breathing, heaving, something. But I uh, know I didn't I didn't hate it that much. Uh, I just think I think it I think it falls apart under its own weight at the end here. Um, you know, a lot of little choices that I, that I like, and I like the, the two characters overall, but, um, you know, I'm with you on the ending. The ending is a real letdown and, uh, and yeah, when, and you know, anyone who is a child of divorce is never going to accept, like, what, are, what are their like point? And I got, okay. Major spoiler alert for the story of us. Major spoiler alert for because <laughs> I guess we, we've basically given away already. Uh, you know, how, what percentage of people actually get back together after they're separated? Very small, very small uh, percentage of people would do that. So you're really cheating the audience by uh, by presenting this here, and it doesn't feel earned. Well, like the courtship or the you know the, the happier days, uh, there's not a lot of room to breathe. Like um, there's uh, like the 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 dry cleaning stuff, like that whole nervous energy that they have, where they're two people who 
miss each other, but it's like they're adults enough and they feel like they're doing the adult thing by separating because there's so many instances of of hurt or sort of unrest in the house. Uh, but their instincts are to be with one another if that's what they're trying to get at. Like I, as I was watching it, um, I looked over my wife and I was like, this is like an excruciatingly long version of like one scene from crazy, stupid love where you, where you have the phone call, uh, between Julianne Moore and Steve Carell and he's come over and cause he is drawn to her and wants to be with her and he can see through the window that the reason she's calling him is bullshit and she just wanted to call just to hear his voice or talk to him. Um, and you know, that's that film is not attempting to be realistic cause it's, you know, got sort of these crazy sitcomish like sort of setups with this ensemble cast and these like little twists they have in that one. But in that particular sequence, I like buy those characters, like what they're feeling. And in this one, uh, it's like, they just can't wait for the next like, scene to like push these people apart like that that sequence is set up for them to have a sexual encounter and i feel like you can have the characters reunite physically but then the next morning or what have you realize that that's that you know that may have just been passion for one night it's not solved anything but the film like just does not want to allow any moment of levity uh until the very end it's like this strange will they or won't they on divorce or staying married and I feel like in real life it would be it could be messier if they're going to be so like entangled like this separation doesn't even feel like they try to separate. It just feels like he goes somewhere else to blow off steam and then comes back home for dinner. They argue, then he leaves and comes back. Um, and I yeah, that, that's what I didn't expect from it. Going back to how you started this conversation with the trailer, I expected we were going to get sort of a, uh, a more like fully formed like relationship with some scope where we'd get a, like an understanding of the highs and the lows. And for the most part, I feel like it's just magnifies this one, like summer of arguing that they have while the kids are away. Yeah. I mean, it's a fair criticism and everything. And so, yeah, I want to talk more about this montage at the end because it's a really strange stylistic choice, um, especially for Rob Reiner to make. Like it's not really something, you know, you see in his other movies and Rob Reiner is someone who I, really like and, and it's easy to toss off him as a filmmaker because you know he had quite the streak though in the well, uh, late I, 80s early 90s i haven't said this in a while so we're gonna have to reset the clock so rob reiner you know many people will say this is not an auteur and so he, he gets a lot of disrespect uh because of that but you know, you, 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 it's easy to forget that, you know, yeah, he made Stand By Me when Harry met Sally, The American President, A uh, Few Good Men, and what am I forgetting there? Misery. And so, like, yeah, mm -hmm. and, those, and the only bomb he had within there was North. And so, you know, and The Princess Bride, The Princess Bride. Wow. See? I have, like, a, I have a little spoiler for Go you. Ahead. So any, for <laughs> anyone who uh, listens to uh, any other podcasts I'm on, there's one with uh, my friend Dave called a podcast directed by and Rob Reiner has been selected like as one of like the first six directors we're covering uh, because of this conversation that you and I are having where we're like, man, that, like what a stretch this guy had. Uh, and you're right. He's not really sort of considered as like, you know, one of the, the, the sort of top tier directors, but uh, I'm pretty excited to, to dive back into it. Unfortunately, I think uh, where we do 10 films for that podcast, I think the story of us made the yep. cut. So, <laughs> yep, uh, a reappraisal coming from me on that one. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I actually have a, a – I mean, there's 
some of my like favorite uh, like the American president I absolutely adore as uh, one of my favorite like rom-coms if you want to classify it as such uh, even more so than when Harry met Sally so yeah I have, I have a lot of respect for his his work just not this one on uh, from 1999 yeah and that's but but okay going back I want to so the montage like why what benefit did they possibly think could have could have happen from just having this montage at the end show like here's what you missed with you know the story of Katie and Ben here. And then, and then, and then I want to criticize the marketing people for being like, Oh, Hey, we need a montage at the end of this trailer. Oh, there's already one cut at the end of the film. Let's just put that there. Uh, you know, that's a lazy choice and that's horror. Like why? Like you can't do that. Like, Look, man, they had play, they got families too, you know. <laughs> done so and done. They probably made millions of dollars cutting that trailer <laughs> just by taking the montage from the end of the movie and putting it at the at the on the second half of the trailer. Well, like you know. So, why why do you think he? Did, why is Rob Reiner? Why would Rob Reiner do that? You know, at, at like at this point in his career, he's never done anything like that before in another movie. It reminded me um, a lot of like you see it more in comedies. Uh, where, like the like sort of outtakes or like fake outtakes mm-hmm. uh, where it's like, and that always like, and I know sometimes it works like gangbusters, like in a crowded theater uh, for some of that where it's like, Oh, more jokes, more gags we're getting. Um, but it always felt like uh, they didn't have sure footing on how people were going to like leave the theater. And so, you know, they, they throw in some extra jokes. So people come out chuckling uh, if they didn't quite nail the ending of the, you know, the narrative proper and this one, it's like, if you didn't get enough of like, you know, the sweet, happy, like uh, warm and fuzzies, we're going to like sort of inject it in your veins, like right at the very end. So as you're leaving the theater, uh, you have a sense uh, that you felt more joy throughout the whole process than what you really did. I mean, this is a short movie too, uh, 95 minutes. Uh, but yeah, it's all crammed in at the very end. Um, because I don't, I don't think they have it. Or you know, if they're just relying on Michelle Pfeiffer's epic monologue, there, I can see, I could just see some confused faces coming out. Because it is like an uncomfortable moment, even though it ends in a, you know, happy place for both of them. It's not, you know, it is not the New Year's <laughs> speech that Billy Crystal gets to give at the end of When Harry Met Sally. It's it's a little clunky and a lot of tears and snot and all of that. I've developed I've developed my theory of of why I think Rob Reiner okay. did this, uh, and it's all based around my my you know internal biases, which is you know the way you should do it's it. It's a good compass um, to have. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think Rob Reiner made the American President, and you know, great movie. Got no love for it really or respect, and he said, you know what, I need to be an auteur, just like <laughs> Spielberg and all them. I need to do something really distinctive and unique. And, and and you know and that that was this was his attempt. What, what so your your hatred <laughs> of the the auteur theory <laughs> has has led you to this this you know this infamous like this is a Pruder film you have this trailer for the story of us that you want to go reexamine. <laughs> I hate it. I hate it because people will bring it up as an argument as though it means anything. And you'll say, uh, someone will ask you, oh, who's one of your favorite directors? Oh, you know, William Wyler, great director. Oh, oh, well, you know, he was not an auteur, which ironically, ironically, I mean, I believe he was, 
Oh, wait, actually, no. I think he, the cat here is the similar. They, they didn't. Yeah, he was one of the people I believe was targeted as being like, you know, not an auteur uh, when they originally did that. I think it's totally unfair. I think a lot of great films have been uh, overlooked because of this very reductive uh, way, you know, way of, of viewing film criticism. And so, yeah, I never, I never miss a chance to, uh, to criticize. The, the, it's an interesting way to discuss uh, a director's body of work and everything, but the idea that one person and one person alone is responsible for for you know for the for a movie is total fiction, and um, yeah, it's like like you'd have to be I think extremely ignorant to rely on the auteur theory uh, exclusively in terms of determining whether or not a movie is good or not. I mean, yeah, you get into those. Uh, is it uh, Jason Reitman? Uh, that uh, has worked um, with uh, Diablo Cody on what three films at this yeah. point? So, like with those films in particular, like they're you could just as easily make the argument that it's, you know those are like her films, like you know it's her yeah. voice, mm-hmm. and they, I mean they they work well together. I've enjoyed you know all of them, um, but yeah, I think there's a distinct difference between the collaborations he's had with her and then some of his other, other work. But, um, yeah, that's, that is, you know, he's probably going to absorb all of that material and it will become his, his sort of, you know, uh, personal, uh, artistic endeavors, uh, even with, with editors. Like, you know, I, I think that, uh, uh, Sally Minky, is that how you say mm. her name? Like her work with Tarantino. I think there's sort of like a, there, there feel, there seems to be like a distinct line between, you know, her passing, unfortunate passing, early on, uh, and his later work that, um, you know, I, I think you, if you watch them closely, you can kind of tell that, uh, she had a, you know, a pretty big collaborative hand in, in his work, which is always seen, I think is like incredibly personal since he's, you know, writer director and such like sort of a pop culture icon as far as like being Tarantino esque. She was probably the only one who, who would be like, you had the balls to be like, Oh yeah, all this 30 minutes of bullshit. You got to cut it all out. <laughs> <laughs> I like your version. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, all these thirty minutes of bullshit. Um, but yeah, if they have you know that that uh, that bond and that style of collaboration, yeah, probably could say something to that effect. So you're saying Rob Reiner, you know, trying to be one of the cool kids. Um, you know, the, so you, you you hate the montage so much. Uh, you think removing it would make the film better, or 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 no? Like you're just saying it's distracting because it was was used in the I trailer. Just, I or, just wish they had earned. Uh, us feeling those emotions about mm. these characters as yeah. opposed to giving us a basically a commercial uh you know of it and uh yeah it 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 it, it feels very wrong it feels like it's, it feels like a shortcut to to uh to being able to get to to being able to buy that they have this history together that that will lead Michelle Pfeiffer to make you know, it may, when, when we, when you actually see the, like, you know, if you had the ending where they actually split up, I probably wouldn't hate the montage so much, but you know, the fact that they're using the montage to bridge the gap here with her thought process is, you know, and, and actually, yeah, on the commentary, he said that was exactly the idea was that they, the, that, uh, I guess people didn't understand, you know, didn't believe that she would, decided to, to stay with him. And so they had to ha- have the montage and, or <laughs> like, he literally said this. And so it's like, it's so yeah, I mean, it, it's a shortcut and, you know, he made, he's made a lot of really great movies where that didn't take shortcuts. And so it's kind of sad that, you know, in this one, he decided to do that, 
But you know, such is your respect. I don't hate it Rob as much Reiner, as you do. So I'm that just going you, you listen that. to the uh, the commentary because you have such respect for this man and such disrespect, disregard for Steven Soderbergh that you skipped the Lime commentary. But the story of us, that one was was appointment television. Okay, so next up, <laughs> we have a film from one of the great auteurs. <laughs> Of the late 90s and the early 21st century. And, you know, it was funny. So when I was reading up about David O. Russell, uh, you know, I came across an article labeling like five directors who were really difficult to work with. And they they talked about Lars von Trier and David O. Russell and, you know, violence and sexual harassment and blah, blah, blah. And then they get to this guy, uh, the great auteur whose film we're discussing next week. This This guy, he does a lot of takes. That's we don't we don't like that. Don't do so many takes. And that was the article. Like, you know, this guy's really difficult because he does okay. too many takes. So who, yeah. who is it? Uh, so this is uh, David Fincher and uh, Fight Club is, uh, of course, his, his 1999 film. And uh, yeah, when you said that, I was reminded of an article or interview. I've seen this a couple of times that uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, uh, probably just like joking or uh, like one of those clickbaity things where it's like Jake Gyllenhaal hated working with David Fincher because it made him do like 172 takes of his hand like grabbing a magazine in a car or something for Zodiac that nature uh, which is you know it is a funny complaint in particular in these times that it's like uh, <laughs> a man <laughs> when he's on set working uh, wants to get things right like what an <laughs> asshole <laughs> What a jerk. <laughs> it was just really, I think it's a really funny comparison to put like mm-hmm. that on the same level. Like, like, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, doing that many takes, I could see that being ridiculous and everything, but to put that on the same level as like sexual harassment and, and physical altercations, uh, you know, on set and everything. It's just like, wow. Like, really? I mean, come on. <laughs> yep. Yeah, uh, but, you know, we'll we'll get everybody at some point. Yeah, <laughs> just I know. Mis- just mis- like- <laughs> and if you'd like to continue the conversation with us, feel free to do so on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at ninety nine from ninety nine. Inside my fear that I am